0: Please have your Bible ready and open to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. I'll tell you that this is one of my favorite narratives from the Gospels. It is an exciting narrative that contains intriguing drama. I think to go through this with a verse-by-verse commentary analytical approach might be a distraction. And I'm not convinced the Holy Spirit intends for us to use that approach with a narrative text. In Romans and Ephesians and other sections, the expository method can have value. But in narrative text, it seems that too much analysis can distract from the plot, the story. So, here is the setting in Luke 14. It is a resurrection narrative. Luke starts with the first day of the week scene. You remember, the stone was rolled away and it was announced, he is not here. Jesus arose from the dead. After initial witnesses at the empty tomb, people are going home and they're talking about all of this naturally. And here's what happened. I'm in Luke 24 at verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with him gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them, in the breaking of the bread. Well, you see what I mean about this precious jewel of gospel narrative. You have this combination of human interest and mystery and revelation and then emotion. All of that is packed into this story. But ultimately, we must inquire, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to us today? What do we need to get from this? Well, obviously, this is part of the evidence that Luke and other writers provide of the resurrection historical fact. But is there more for us here? I'm going to call this a post-resurrection reunion. And I'm going to raise three questions. And as we use the text to respond to these questions, I promise that things will emerge for us today In addition to the feature of historical evidence, things about our hope will emerge as we inquire of the text. So, no in-depth exegetical analysis or phrase-by-phrase work. Just three questions that will take us to the practical part of our study. Why was hope lost? That there was a loss of hope, Luke tells us in verse 21. Luke is quoting Cleopas. They are not aware that Jesus is the one speaking to them, but they hear his question, what happened? And Luke quotes Cleopas. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. These two disciples had hoped that Jesus of Nazareth was the Redeemer. After his death, even with reports of his resurrection, there was some confusion that remained in their minds and there was a loss of hope. Listen to verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel yet. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. So there is a loss of hope, because Jesus gives the answer in verse 25, they were slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Now the prophets wrote, and these people had access to what the prophets wrote long before Jesus came. There was nothing in the experience of the crucifixion and the reports of the resurrection that would have justified Any loss of hope, rather on the other side, it would have should have become evident to them. We'll get to that. But there was a loss of hope. And Jesus said it was due to their slowness of heart to believe what had been written and spoken by the prophets. I'll come back to that later. Now, what should have been evident? And we know the answer to that clearly. These disciples had not only had written and oral information from God through the prophets about what God had planned. They had immediate evidence in time, in real life, in their experience through the death of Christ, His burial, and reports of His resurrection they should have embraced fully. But in verses 22 to 24, Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And that's a lead-in to what Jesus said when he said to them, O foolish ones, Regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, there were so many witnesses. The Bible speaks of the validity of two or three witnesses. In our courts of law today, you don't need hundreds and hundreds of witnesses. Eyewitness testimony is reliable if it is consistent. And the more you have, the greater the level of reliability and weight. Let's do something back in Luke 24, the first several verses. I don't remember where exactly I picked up this expression from a book I read or a sermon I heard or a study that I was a part of, but it is helpful in navigating the fact of the resurrection of Christ to do a witness count. And you can start that in Luke 24 in the opening verse. So let's do some of that and read down through verse 12 and just make a mark or count as you go through. Do a witness count. But on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women. Are you counting? With them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. He went home marveling at what had happened. So you begin to do a witness count in Luke 24. And you have at least three women who are named. Add Peter to that. So far you have four Then in the conversation Jesus has with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in verse 24, you keep counting. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but him they did not see. I'm going to call this, at this point in our witness count, sufficient evidence that what the prophets said was fulfilled in these events. Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, if you continue your witness count over further into the New Testament, you come to 1 Corinthians 15 that I'll bring up later, and Paul says over 500 were witnesses of this miracle. So, here's where we are. Why was hope lost? Well, they had not paid good attention to the prophets. Jesus said that. But beyond that, What should have been evident? Christ arose from the dead. Question number three, digging back into the narrative. What does Jesus illustrate? We turn our attention now back to what Jesus said in this exchange. And I'm looking now at verse 32. He opened to us the scriptures. Jesus didn't just ask them what had happened. He didn't just probe their minds and get them talking. Nor did He just condemn their slowness of heart and then leave. It says, and you can put it this way really, He opened the Bible. And that was the best response to these two disciples since it says their hearts burned within them. Can you begin to imagine what it would have been like to hear Jesus teach the Bible? Someone might be inclined to argue that Jesus didn't need the Bible, he could just pronounce the truth, he was divine. Well, yes. But what happened here fits the pattern of Jesus' attitude Of honoring Scripture. Do you recall how many times Jesus would be speaking to someone on some subject and it would be apparent that people in the audience had not paid a good attention to Scripture and Jesus would rebuke them by saying, you remember, have you not read? Jesus wanted people to read and hear and learn the written Word of God and then live under the authority of the Word of God. Jesus wanted them to believe what the Word of God said. He wanted them to now reflect on what they hadn't believed. He wanted them to now reflect on what the prophets had said that had just occurred. Look at the effect of this in verses 33 to 35. And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. This narrative really takes us to that truth. Though there is human interest in drama and interaction between the disciples and Jesus, what this takes us to is the subject of Luke 24, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It takes us to that truth so profoundly important to our faith and hope. If this hadn't happened We would be miserable people without faith or hope. I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians 15 in a minute. We might claim allegiance to Jesus according to the history of his life and work and teaching, but it would be allegiance to the dead if you didn't have the resurrection. I'll say then, if this hadn't happened, we would be miserable people without faith or hope. Are you there in 1 Corinthians 15? One of the problems in the Corinthian church was the intrusion of doubt about the resurrection. We're going to listen to Paul write about that in 1 Corinthians fifteen, twelve down to 20. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, Paul goes through this argumentation. That is argumentation that points to consequences. In other words, if you say there is no resurrection, what are the consequences of that unbelief in regard to your faith in Christ? Well, it would mean Christ is dead. And if Christ is dead, Paul says, our preaching is vain. Your faith is vain. You are dead, dead Christians that you know have no hope. On and on. I want to say to you, what Paul is dealing with here is not about being a little wrong about something. It is about being profoundly wrong. If there is no resurrection, therefore Christ is dead. Nobody on earth is as miserable and hopeless as we are. But after pushing that argumentation and that analysis and those consequences at them, Paul is excited to come back and repeat the good news in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, this should impact us as it did the disciples on the road in Luke 24 when their hearts burned within them as they heard Jesus expound Scripture and realized they were disciples of a living Master. Now would you let me say three things about the resurrection of Christ and our hope? Just briefly, In his resurrection, hope is personified. Here's what I mean, 1 Timothy 1.1. When Paul wrote to Timothy, here's how the letter opened. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, our hope. While it can be said that Christ provides hope, a more intensive way to express that is he is our hope. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Paul, and Peter, all good men who serve God in the writing that they did for us. But it cannot be said, Matthew is our hope, John is our hope, Paul and Peter, Christ is our hope. I love to read and study the Old Testament books of prophecy, and there isn't any doubt the prophets of God wrote about hope But we cannot say Isaiah is our hope, Daniel is our hope, Christ is our hope. Because of who he is and what he did, the death he died, and then his resurrection and ascension to heaven, we serve a living master. Hope is personified and intensified when it is said, He is our hope. in his resurrection, hope is amplified. And by that I mean, before Jesus' death, there was hope for people who met him, who heard him, saw him, responded to him. His message was one of hope. For instance, in his discourse on the bread of life, in John six twenty seven, he spoke of the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now that expresses hope for those who were there listening to Christ before his death. Or in John 14, a passage we often quote, In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. There was hope communicated by Jesus before he died. So what happens when Jesus dies and is buried and raised from the dead? Hope is amplified by the historical fact of his resurrection. Our hope in Christ is amplified in that as we endure hardship and remain strong and character is developed, hope is amplified. It says in Romans 5, hope does not put us to shame. It connects to that affirmation I gave a moment ago that we serve a living master. Hope is verified. Can you imagine hearing Jesus talk about hope as it is revealed in John 6 and John 14? And then he dies and there is no resurrection. But that hope they heard about was verified in the evidence and fact of his resurrection from the dead. And then there's another dimension of this. As I face death and you face death, what we naturally seek is confirmation and proof that we will be raised to glory. Well, in First Thessalonians 4.14, take this. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And likewise in 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. My hope as a Christian, your hope as a Christian, (coughs) sorry, looks back to the fact of Jesus' resurrection, then looks forward with assurance of our being raised from the dead. And therefore, it is a living Hope. One more thing. Notice from the narrative something else we can take with us. Slowness of heart can destroy your hope. Guard against slowness of heart. It can destroy our hope. If I back away from good Bible reading, good Bible study, Listening to good Bible instruction. If we let the world and its concerns make us dull and slow of heart, one casualty will be our hope. If, on the other hand, we are abiding in the Word, not only do we persevere in hope, but it becomes more precious to you with each step you take in life, each birthday, each event it takes you toward glory in Matthew 28:20 20, Jesus promised I'm with you always even to the end of the age so because Jesus is alive his followers are not alone we have the son of god as our partner in life every step of the way we serve a living master Let's be standing as we sing.